Let's, let's ask God to help us. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, would you please help us this morning to understand your word? Would you please thrill us with the glory of the gospel? And would you please, Heavenly Father, help us in response to be, to be bold? And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was at a party the other day and uh, I found myself sitting next to a man who I did not know. Now, I don't know if it's because I'm a Presbyterian minister, maybe he was annoyed at having to sit next to the minister, but the conversation with this bloke, it was, it was like getting blood out of a stone. Asked him about his work, nothing. Asked him about his family, zilch. I tried talking current affairs, politics, sport, I, I could barely get a, a word out of the bloke. Until we came to the topic of cars. I asked him what car he drives. Suddenly, everything changed. His face lit up. His whole body language changed as he turned towards me, leaned forwards. He talked with great passion and excruciating detail about the car that he owns, numerous cars, and then about cars in general. He even saw fit to give me all kinds of advice. He told me what cars I should own. As if. He told, me, he told me the mechanics that I should use. He told me how to polish a car, how to drive a car, how to, how to change the oil, how to park a car, how to change the brake fluid. On and on and on he went. For the rest of the evening, I barely got a word in. I sat there trying not to let my eyes roll into the back of my head. Uh, it, look, it was a nice enough night. But at the end of the night, after I got home, I got to thinking, I thought to myself... Why aren't I like that when it comes to talking about Jesus? Just so obvious that this guy loves cars, passionate about cars. It couldn't help but just overflow out of his mouth, his enthusiasm, his passion. I, I say that I love Jesus. I say that I'm passionate about the good news of the gospel, but I'm nothing like that bloke. I'm so shy, so reticent, so desperate not to offend, I'm not very bold. You like me? Are you like me on this? You love Jesus, but it doesn't overflow out of your mouth into your general conversation. It doesn't make you bold. Well, the Apostle Paul, so far in his relationship with the Corinthians, has been very bold. When he first went to Corinth, the Apostle Paul was very bold. In Acts chapter 18, we're told that he, every week, Paul reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. For 18 months, he stayed in Corinth. He faced terrible persecution, but he pressed on. They could not shut him up. He was bold when he first went to Corinth. Paul then wrote a letter to the Corinthians, and it's a very bold letter. Most of us would have read the letter of 1 Corinthians. If you haven't, I commend it to you. Uh, as you read, as you read, you'll notice how bold Paul is uh, on all kinds of issues. He, he, he rebukes the Corinthians, he encourages the, the Corinthians on all sorts of things, that you, you know, what they should eat, who they should have sex with, uh, how they should get on with each other, what they should believe. And Paul is very bold in that first letter. Paul then visited the Corinthians for a second time. We thought about this a couple of weeks ago in 2 Corinthians. And again, on that visit, he was very bold. Do you remember the man who was involved in this public scandalous sin? Paul rebuked him and he called on the church to discipline him. Went very badly. 
But it still didn't stop Paul, and so he wrote them another letter. We don't have it, but uh, it, it seems like it was a very stern letter. Paul has been consistently bold with the Corinthians despite opposition. He's kept on calling them to trust Jesus and to live for him. But now here in the church in Corinth, there are these people who later on we'll see Paul calls the super apostles. We'll get to hear a lot more about them later on. These super apostles, they're all nice and they're sweet and they're smarmy and they're popular and and, and they're trying to get the Corinthians to turn away from Paul's message about Jesus and to follow them instead. And it seems part of their criticism of Paul is his stubborn boldness in the face of persecution. You can imagine the sort of thing that the super apostles might have said. Uh, That Paul, that Paul, he is like a dog at a bone. He keeps being persecuted. He keeps suffering. He keeps being rejected. Everybody hates him. And yet he doesn't seem to be getting the message. It's obvious that God is not with him. It's obvious he's wrong about God. Otherwise, why would his life be like that? Why is it that everybody hates him so much? The only reason he keeps going is out of sheer stubbornness. Why is Paul so bold? Why does he keep on stubbornly persisting in calling people to trust Jesus and obey him? Well, this next section of Corinthians that we started last week and we'll be doing over the next few weeks, it's all about answering this question. Why is Paul so bold? Last week we saw a first reason. Do you remember from last week? Um, Paul's confidence, do you remember his confidence is not in himself? Remember that? It's not in himself, but it's in God's message. It's in God and his message. Now, Paul says, uh, this was quite vivid, I thought, from Warren last week. He said, being a Christian and sharing the message about Jesus, it makes you a bit like a durian. Do you remember that? Uh, to some, you are the smell of life and salvation. They love you, but to, the, to others, you're like the smell of death. They hate you. But Paul keeps going. He said last week, he keeps going, not because he's confident in himself. He keeps going. He's a durian for Jesus because it's not about him. It's about God's message. That's where his confidence is. That's where his boldness is. And now in this next section, Paul gives another reason why he's so bold. He's bold because he's gripped by the glory of the gospel. Do you see what I did there? That's alliteration for the English teachers. Alliteration. He's gripped by the glory of the gospel. You can use it in your HSC essays and so on. Thank you very much. Alliteration. Gripped by the glory of the gospel. Uh, Paul starts off with a, a comparison. So he's a, he, he compares the message about Jesus, the Holy Spirit's ministry about Jesus, with the ministry of Moses in giving the law in the Old Testament. So he makes this comparison. And the, the, the big idea is this. The ministry of Moses was glorious. But the ministry of Jesus is way more glorious. The ministry of Moses was glorious. It's so glorious when Moses went up the mountain, received the law from God. When he came back down with the the, the stone tablets of the law, his face was shining. His face was so bright that Israelites couldn't even look at him. The ministry of Moses was glorious. But Paul says... The ministry of Jesus is way more glorious, surpassingly glorious. Paul says, the ministry of Moses, look, it was fine, but it ended up bringing condemnation and death. God gave his law, he gave his rules through Moses. This is what you have to do, don't do this, do do that. He said the penalty for breaking those laws is death. 
But the law was written on stone tablets. It wasn't written on human hearts. In other words, God gave the rules, but he didn't give people the power to obey the rules. Like all of us, sinful Israel broke God's law. And so the glorious ministry of Moses ended up bringing death and condemnation. And it could only ever be transitory. It could never be God's final solution. It could never be the way that God's people could be with him forever. But the message about Jesus, it brings life. It brings righteousness. Jesus has died on the cross to take our sin away. He's risen again and he's poured out the Holy Spirit into his people's hearts. He's he's changing us now. And the day is coming when Jesus will raise us to life and transform us completely so that we will love God forever. Jesus is God's final solution. He brings eternal life and righteousness. Paul's point is this. If the ministry of Moses was glorious, then the ministry of the Spirit is mega glorious, way more glorious, so glorious as to make the glory of Moses look like nothing, nothing at all. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 7. Have a look with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, this is Moses' ministry in the Old Testament, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious, Moses, has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory of Jesus. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory which lasts? You get the contrast there? The ministry of the gospel is amazingly, wonderfully, eternally, extraordinarily glorious. It brings life in the place of death. It brings forgiveness and justification and pardon instead of condemnation. The gospel is full of glorious, wonderful hope. And that, says Paul, is why he is so bold. That's why he overcomes his timidity and his fear. That's why he overcomes his desire to just have a comfortable life. That's why he will not stop talking about Jesus, no matter what. It's why he will not stop hassling people to turn from sin and live for Jesus. Paul is bold because he is gripped by this glorious gospel verse 12 verse 12 therefore since we have such a hope we are very bold it is a bit bit like that bloke i was talking about at the beginning isn't it why why was he so bold when it came to talking about cars why did his passion uh, why did why did he not stop talking because it's like his 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 passion just flowed out of his mouth. He thinks cars are magnificent. He thinks they're glorious. He loves cars and he can't help himself. Can't, any, any target, even some poor Presbyterian minister is, is, a, is, a, is a target for, for this bold, passionate, enthusiastic talk about cars. Now, now this next section of Paul's letter sounds a bit complicated when you first read it, but I think with a couple of little clues we'll get it. So Paul's just talked about the story of Moses. Remember, Moses went up on the mountain, got the Ten Commandments. When he came down, his face was shining. Okay, we've just talked about Moses. Well, the the thing is, 
when Moses came down, his face was shining. And what he did is he put a veil over his face so that the um, Israelites wouldn't be, you know, he, he had to hide himself. Well, Paul says he's not like that. He's bold. He doesn't put a veil over his face. He's completely open and transparent. Okay, so that's the starting point. We make this contrast between Paul and Moses. Moses covered his face with a veil. Paul is totally open and bold in sharing the gospel. No veil over Paul or his message. Let's read verse 12 again. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Okay, so we've picked up the idea of a veil, and now Paul kind of riffs on the veil idea. Have you ever seen a piano player? My my sons are like this. You give them one chord, and they'll just kind of riff on it and make all sorts of things happen. Well, Paul just gets this idea of a veil, and he kind of riffs on it. Uh, He uses it in a number of different ways. First of all, he uses it to compare the Jewish people, and particularly Jewish non-Christians, with Christians. So he uses the veil idea to say that Jewish non-Christians... It's like they have a veil over their heart. When, when the story of Moses and the Old Testament is read to them, they don't get that it's all about Jesus. They, they, they cannot grasp who Jesus really is. The glory of God is still hidden from them. It's like there's a veil over their heart. Verse 14, But their minds, and we're talking about the, the Jewish people now, their minds were made dull in Moses' day. For to this day, still... The same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It's not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Okay, so for people without Jesus, and of course this applies to Jews and Gentiles, doesn't it? For people without Jesus, it's like there's a veil over their heart. They they cannot grasp the glory of Jesus. And I'm sure you've had this experience. You, You talk to someone about Jesus and you go, it's so great, I'm forgiven, I'm going to heaven. And they go, don't care, not interested. A veil. But, says Paul, if the Holy Spirit enables you to turn to Jesus, it's like it's like the veil is taken away. Now you can see the glory of Jesus. But but more than that, now you can be in the presence of God. So even now, even now we can come to God as our Father in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we can come to God, but ultimately, ultimately, so we're being transformed now, but ultimately the day will come when we will see Jesus face to face. No, no veil. Just eternally in the presence of God, unveiled. Verse 16. Just there's a little complexity here. Is he, he talks about the Lord in two ways. So he talks about the Lord Jesus, but a couple of times he talks about the Lord being the Holy Spirit as well. Let's see if we can work it out. Uh, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, Jesus, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord who is the, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Jesus, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, Jesus' glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay, he keeps flipping between using Jesus as Lord and, and Lord for the Holy Spirit. It's a little bit confusing, but hopefully you get the point. I think it's clear enough, isn't it? When you turn to the Lord Jesus, the Lord Holy Spirit takes the veil away from your heart. And so you're being transformed now, and ultimately you'll see God face to face, unveiled forever. So you get what Paul's doing with this veil idea here? He's using it, I think, in, in, in four ways. 
Okay, so we started off with the idea of Moses was veiled, Paul's not veiled. He's, he's bold. Okay, that was the first use of veil. Second use of veil, without the Holy Spirit, you, you can't put your faith in Jesus. It's like there's a veil over your heart. But third, if the Spirit takes away the veil, you will put your, put your faith in Jesus. And then fourth and finally, if you put your faith in Jesus, you'll be able to stand in the presence of God unveiled forever. See, it's kind of riffing on this veil idea. But again, that is the glorious magnificence of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. Through Jesus, you, sinful though you are, will be transformed and be able to stand in his presence forever. And God has mercifully, graciously given this ministry to the Apostle Paul. And so what does he do? I can tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't give up. He doesn't stay silent. He doesn't be timid. He doesn't lose heart. He presses on, calling on people to trust Jesus and live for him. Chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Okay, it's a bit of a tricky section, but can, can you see what's here? Paul is explaining how it is that he can be so bold, how he can keep going without losing heart, how he can keep telling people about Jesus, keep calling people to turn away from sin. How can Paul do it? Well, reason number one, because the gospel is so glorious. Way more glorious than the message of the Old Testament. And of course, Paul was pretty keen on the message of the Old Testament, wasn't he? Well, this, this is way more glorious. The gospel brings life instead of death, pardon and righteousness instead of condemnation. And then reason number two, through the gospel, the veil is taken away. And those who trust in Jesus can stand before God with unveiled face forever. The Holy Spirit's message about Jesus is utterly glorious and Paul is gripped by this glory, gripped by the glory of the gospel. That's why he doesn't lose heart. That's why he is so bold. All right. Now, as I said at the start, this, this whole section of about ooh, a number of chapters, it's going to be probably five or six talks, they're all about why Paul is so bold. Okay, this is just really just one big idea for the next few weeks. There's reason after reason that's given. And so I thought over these next few weeks, I'd use some actions to help us remember. Okay, they're going to go, go, go along for week after week. So do you remember Warren's point last week? Paul is bold because it's not about him, it's, it's about the message. God's message is where he finds his confidence. And now this week, Paul is bold because he's gripped by the glory of the gospel. So I want to use kind of a memory... Mnemonic is that the wrong word, I think, but some actions we're going to do. We're going to, as we do it, I think we should do it talking about ourselves. Okay, so let me put it this way. I should be like a durian for Jesus. Okay, what's the action? I think it's that, isn't it? <laughs> I should be like a durian for Jesus. All right, boldly spreading the aroma of the gospel. I should be like a durian for Jesus. Why? From last week, because it's about God's message, not me. What are we going to do? God's message, something like that. It's about God's message, not me. And from this week, because I'm gripped by the glory of the gospel. Gripped by the glory of the gospel, something like that. All right, let, let's try it. Let's do it together, okay? So, I should be like a durian for Jesus. 
because it's about God's message, not me, and because I'm gripped by the glory of the gospel. Let me try one more time. All right, excellent. Let's think some more about applying this passage to ourselves. Are you timid? Are you a silent Christian? Back in January, I went to a Christian conference in Katoomba and I met, uh, I met a man. His name is, his name is David. It's his real name. Um, and uh, we, had, we had a brief chat. Carmelina introduced me to him. She knew his wife already. And we had a brief chat. Seemed like a nice guy. But then a couple of days later, my daughter Bianca and I, we went on a bushwalk uh, along down to a place called... Um, something that I can't remember. It was a waterfall. Anyway. Um, it's got some ridiculous name. Anyway, doesn't jump to my mind. We walked this long walk down to a waterfall. And uh, as we were walking down, we ran into David and his numerous children walking along the path. And so we, we, got, uh, we got talking. And I have to say, the way that David talked about Jesus reminded me of the way the other man talked about cars. Uh, on and on and on he went. So bold, so enthusiastic. Turned out he'd... Uh, He'd been a scripture teacher at the school that I went to, but he just could not stop this guy from talking about Jesus all the way down to the waterfall, wouldn't let me escape. And we, we got down to the waterfall, everyone, you know, disrobes and starts swimming. And then I noticed David. He started up, he's sitting by the side of the water and he started up a conversation with a man. And this is not a man I would have talked to, okay? This is a guy he's never met, and he is a monster, this man. Okay, he's an islander of some description, covered in tattoos. Uh, David was very polite introduced himself, asked the man some questions about himself. But I tell you what, within a couple of minutes, David was at it. I heard him say to the man, look at that waterfall. You cannot tell me that that waterfall is an accident. Look how beautiful it is. God made that waterfall, did you know that? And did you know the God who made that waterfall, he loves you. And you know these people here that I'm with, they, they know about Jesus and how he died for you. That guy there, he points to me, he's a minister. And I'm going... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> On and on he went. By the end of the conversation, this man was promising to check out a church in his local area. <laughs> Why do you reckon David is bold like that? I mean, maybe it's partly a personality thing. But friends, that's not, not all there is, is it? Why is David so bold? Well, I'm not going to tell you the story of his dark past and his amazing conversion and all that kind of stuff. But he's bold because, like the Apostle Paul, he's been gripped by the glory of the gospel. Are you gripped like that? I mean, I know the vast majority of us believe the good news about Jesus. Uh, we say that he's our king, that he's our saviour. We, we, we believe he offers us life and pardon and righteousness. We, we think we will be able to see God face to face forever because of Jesus. We believe it. But are we gripped by it? I think we ought to be, don't you? I think it is glorious. And, and I want to be more like David, more like the Apostle Paul. I don't want to lose heart. I do want to be bold. I hope you feel the same. And I don't think there's any great secret to it, is there? We just need to reflect on it, meditate on it, drink deeply of it ourselves. We need to not just know what Jesus has done, but delight in what he has done. When we sin, we should delight in the forgiveness of Jesus. 
Did you, did you hear what Warren said earlier on from that proverb? He who confesses, whoever confesses their sins finds mercy. That just kind of wash off you or did you go, wow, that is exactly what I need. Did you sin? Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. That just kind of wash off you or did you go, praise the Lord. When we don't sin, we should delight in the work of the Spirit in our lives, transforming us. Every evidence we see of change, we should be going, this is amazing, this is wonderful. When we suffer, we should take extraordinary comfort in the hope that this is not all there is. There is heaven before us. When we see the emptiness and the inconsistency and the burden and the hopelessness of people around us, we should delight in the freedom and the sure hope that we will see God face to face. After the nine o'clock service, I got talking to a guy afterwards and he said he had this very conversation during the week. He's talking to his boss, who's this multi-multi-millionaire and he's miserable. And he said, why do you think you're so miserable and I'm so happy when I've got nothing? He says, because I've got Jesus and I've got eternal hope. You're not going to take any of your money with you, but everything I have in Jesus I take with me. We need to sing and praise and worship. Let your emotion be engaged, be gripped by the glory of the gospel. And then, friends, there's no secret to it. you just got to step out in faith. Just open your mouth and start talking. Let, let your delight overflow into words. People might think of you a bit like a stinky durian. It's quite possible. But you never know. For someone, you might be the aroma of life. All right, let's finish with those memory actions and then I'll give you a chance to do it with each other. Can you remember? Can you remember? I should be like a durian for Jesus because it's about God's message, not me, and because I'm gripped by the glory of the gospel. Okay, 40 seconds to turn to the person next to you and sh show them, show them the actions and, and, and the words. Mm. Okay, should we come back together again? As I say, we'll keep building on that over the next few weeks. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the magnificent glory of the good news about Jesus. Thank you that in him we sinners have forgiveness and pardon and eternal life. Thank you that he's died on the cross and risen again so that we can be cleansed and be able to stand in your glorious presence forever. Lord, what a magnificent message we pray that we might delight in it and that we might not be able to help but be bold. We pray in Jesus' name.